Surely everything can't be awesome. In honor of the Lego movie, what's your favorite moment of cinematic branding? I'm Katie Rich, and I think that the much ballyhooed presence of Heineken in Skyfall actually worked out pretty well. He's retreated to a Pacific island. He's on vacation. No one has the energy to make martinis. Hey, it's me, Dave with the Seven. One of the many things I want from Back to the Future 2 next year is the Pepsi bottled like Voss water that rises out of the bar. I would drink so many cylinders of that. I am Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with the Truman Show's uh, Makoko drink. All natural cocoa beans from the upper slopes of Mount Nicaragua. No artificial sweeteners. And I'm David Ehrlich, and I'm going to go with For Relaxing Times, Make It Suntory Times from Lost in Translation. Duh. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 9 for Tuesday, February 4th, 2014. The Groundhog saw his shadow. There's six more weeks of winter. Gives you lots more times to stay indoors. Listen to this podcast, interview it on iTunes, which you've been so good about doing so far. It makes us happy. Happy post-Groundhog Day. Keep bringing us the reviews, and thank you very much. Um, so last week I, I wrote a story on Grantland about Jason Friedberg and Aaron Seltzer prompted by their new movie, Best Night Ever. These are the guys infamous for movies such as Date Movie, Epic Movie, Meet the Spartans, Disaster Movie, Vampire Suck, most recently The Starving Games, which I don't think anyone saw. That barely came out. Um, I think that hit VOD and vanished pretty quickly, right before Catching Fire. The Starving Games. I, you, I'm sure you know what that's a spoof of. Um, and these guys, you know, have made their legacy from spoof movies. Um, while the article deals mostly with their, their long decade, their decade-long career in the 90s into the 2000s, writing other things that weren't spoofs, and maybe perhaps that they are not who they appear to be to the general public. Um, I'm more curious about the movies that they have made that we have ingested and that have kind of caused people to hate them so much. Now, are you guys familiar with these movies? Have you caught – maybe – I think a lot of people saw Date Movie. There's a good chance you guys saw Date Movie. Is that is that the highest grossing one of the bunch? It's um, – actually, no. I don't I don't believe it is. I would think um, me, like Meet the Spartans would be there yeah, somehow. I think I saw the earlier ones. So what would that be, like Disaster Movie? And date movie was first. Date movie was their first oh, maybe movie because they did scary movie, but that was kind of taken out of their hands and transformed. They were such by the fully formed artists when they arrived with date movie. <laughs> well, Especially. they. I mean, okay, so these guys wrote Spy Hard, which is a movie that I thought was very funny when I was, you know, twelve or whenever it came out. Did um, they also write the theme or... from Spy Hard? No, unfortunately, that was Weird Al Yankovic going way <laughs> under his quality level. <laughs> To, he's stooping down to Spy Hard <laughs> with Spy Hard. Um, but after Spy Hard, they kind of rested for 10 years. They did not have a, a movie made, and they wrote a lot of movies that weren't spoof movies. Um, but, of course, then they sold Scary Movie, which was 
made by the Waynes Brothers and pretty much transformed into a Waynes Brothers movie. Um, so really, Date Movie is the first thing that they've done that was kind of pure Friedberg and Seltzer. Um, and th- that was Allison Hannigan, um, all sorts of nonsense. This is oh, their typical, yes. like... I saw Date Movie. Yeah, have Allison a cameo Hannigan. and, ha- you know, have, have like a Jennifer Lopez uh, marriage... What's it called? Not Marriage Counselor. Uh, Wedding wedding Planner. planner. Reference, you know, just reference all sorts of movies, and that's the funny part. Um, And that began their kick in the spoof genre. But, um, and and they're very successful. Like you said, Date Movie was very successful, but even something like Vampire Suck, which came out two or three years ago now, still made $80 million at the box office worldwide, but still. I mean, if you make it for 15 million bucks, that's a profit. But what I'm really curious about is if why why have Friedberg and Seltzer been in the crosshairs for so long? Why is that? Why are their movies so bad to people? When I feel like there's a lot of comedy out there that is close to what these guys are doing, um, I, I and don't seems think... to still be appealing to people. You know, I liked Spy Hard, but if I revisited it, I might still I might hate it now. I don't think that there's all that much of a mystery here. I think that your article probably uh, got to the heart of it uh, as as best anyone could. I think that there is uh, such an overwhelming and transparent lack of effort in the comedy that they produce. And it's so cynical to sell it on people that even comedies that try to have any sort of original material and fail to elicit any laughs – at least feel a step above something like this where they are not only they're, – they're, it would be a stretch to say they're even riffing on pop culture so much as they are simply presenting a low-rent version of it and playing a match game where you're like, hey, remember this? And then you laugh at the life that you have lived before and the years that you will no longer – have. Um, anyway, uh, uh, no, so it's, it's really uh, the realization of time and how short life is, and you exactly. laugh out of misery. Uh, wow, I don't, I don't think I, I don't think that there's much of a movie. yeah. No, exactly. I mean, maybe uh, maybe I think that they could be a hair's breadth away from making a timeless masterpiece. <laughs> they just have to go the other way. Uh, but yeah, I don't so, think there's much what, of a mystery what, here. I think that I, just well, I know that was a joke, but what is that? Do you honestly believe that they could, if they were just pushed in a slightly different direction, or if they had potentially more oversight over their work or another level of that comedy that it could be genius i always think it's interesting when uh artists have uh, artists i use the term liberally have such conviction in their work and it's sort of inimitable i mean i'm sure uh you know spoofs have been done before and hopefully will be done after friedberg and Seltzer. hopefully they didn't kill the genre as a whole but uh the the particular brand of spoof they do is so is so self-contained. It's so uh, vapid uh, that you, any artist that is, uh, makes work that singular has to be capable of doing something genuinely interesting. <laughs> I feel that like if uh, if they were able to make one of these spoof movies that didn't pertain to culture as we knew it, that was maybe predictive of culture or or uh, from some sort of parallel universe. I don't know. It could be it could be very interesting, but as it exists, no. I but but is it reflective – I feel like it in some ways – and I'll let you guys be sorry um, – yeah. that, it's, that it's reflective of the times. Like we're so – pop culture right now is so chaotic. The only way to hold a mirror to it is to have this kind of fury of imagery. And, the, you know, disaster movie opens with a flashback to 10,000 B.C., 
a movie I don't think anyone was talking about when it even came out. Mm. Um, and then, you know, he's dr- having his dream sequence, running around with saber-toothed tigers, and all of a sudden they run into Amy Winehouse, who has a bone in her hair, because she's from the prehistoric times, apparently. Is and it I'm the real like, Amy Winehouse? It's No, it's not the real Amy Winehouse. Fake Amy Winehouse. But I'm just like... This is so jumbled, and I'm, like, laughing because I don't understand how we even got to this point. And I may have the same realizations in real life when I'm like, what is going on with <laughs> with pop culture and just, like, how stars get from A to B or how, how this thought process, this you jumble that, of like, reality. other kinds of movies and other studio films would allow for that sort of free association in their narratives. <laughs> you know, like, in, in films where it could actually be put to some use. Well, I mean, that's sort of the argument that I wanted to make is, like, these people do good because they can make a movie. And just because these are the versions of scripts that are selling, that's really not so much on them as it is sort of on us and the very system that they're spoofing. So I would imagine if I were them, I could, you know, fall asleep every night knowing that, you know, like the Rousseau brothers were just the people that, you know, did Community and you, me, and Dupree – have suddenly have this huge buzz behind Captain America 2, The Winter Soldier, which is this huge action movie. It's like if you have the capability to turn out movies, like it doesn't, even movies with, you know, special effects, be they low-budget special effects, if you have the ability to move this apparatus and this machinery, I'm not going to necessarily knock them for not aspiring to much because shouldn't I be on their side for suckering millions of teens who need something well, to make out you can still during. not like the movies on, on and that's perfectly fine like you can think their comedy is lowbrow to a cultural destruction like it's destroying culture or something that's a claim that i hear a lot that they're toxic to what we enjoy about comedy and they're terrorists in a way um but i'm curious about that fine line between spoofs because i love airplane i love the naked gun movies um and but they're not referential comedies necessarily even though airplane has i mean airplane has a scene where all of a sudden they're just reenacting saturday night or night fever and for no reason uh and then of course two girl scouts start beating each other up in the background for no reason um and it's really funny stuff and i don't know what kind of tips tips a movie like this to to destructive uh forces you know what why is this so bad and why is Airplane prevails, and we still talk about it as one of the funniest movies of all time. Uh, I have oh, go ahead, Katie, please. Well, no, I, I have no answers to Patrick's questions, but I wanted to ask him <laughs> a question. I mean, like reading their interview, like they talk like so many people who have made cult comedies. Like we make the stuff that's funny, and it's not going to be for everybody, but for the people it works for, it's really good. Like you could hear Dan Harmon say the same thing, or Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Like it's clear that the South Park guys work incredibly hard, and that's the reason that that show has succeeded for as long as it has. But do you find yourself kind of siding with them and, like, they make the movies that are for them? They haven't gone and sold out and done the – you know, they probably could have after – Well, no, they have gone gig. out and sold out. I mean, that's what they are. They, they sold out to the formula that works to them. Um, but it seems like they're appealing but, but to the niche demographic the formula- that will never be in. I mean, this is just for 12-year-olds. But just the same way Spy Hard was. It. Like, they don't – that seems – to suit them like they seem to be happy about that they're, they're right. not the cynics that i think people are expecting them to be right so why not like admire them for sticking to what works for them as opposed to constantly trying to parlay that into having the captain america job well i mean i think that patch is also 
pinpointed to the answer to his own question, which is that the spoof movies are like for, you know, 12 year olds and preteens and airplane, but see, airplane is not. not was not. So that's the difference between those movies. It's like, you know, I don't know, movie 43 aspires to be airplane. I'm not sure. Meet the Spartans aspires to be airplane. I mean, I think they want to make good movies. I think everyone does. I think you can't really go in and make a movie without hoping it's going to be the best thing oh, that it possibly can be. They want they're like the people who are making Ice Age 5. They want to make a suitable Ice Age movie. That doesn't mean making a good movie is necessarily on their radar. They're going to make the best possible Ice Age 5 for them. I don't I don't know. I wouldn't think that they think of it that way. I think that they make what ma- they make it good in the way that matters to them. And good camera work and well-timed jokes isn't part of that. Just that it includes as many of these silly jokes that they find funny, and other people find it funny too. So free market, man. <laughs> as long as someone finds it funny, I guess it is valid. It is art. They are artists. David, do not scoff at Friedberg and Seltzer. They are artists. And you know, it's funny. After I published that article. Uh, I got a very nice email from Larry Karazewski, uh, the screenwriter behind Ed Wood and um, Man on the Moon, People vs. Larry Flint. He was a name dropper. Yeah, I am. Well, I'm going to name drop because he continues to stick up for these guys. He says they're super nice. They have lots of ambition. They play the cards that Hollywood dealt them. And I mean, Larry's the guy who went from problem child to Ed Wood. Um, So he still thinks there's hope to jump. Um, but I just don't know if they need to, and I, I don't know if it's valid for them to continue to make movies for 12-year-olds. I, I guess someone needs to. I want to laugh at poop jokes when I'm, in, when I'm 12 years old. I don't know if I got <laughs> fucked up because of it, but uh, Spy Hard was funny when I was 12. I think that's what I keep going back to here. Exclusively at Grantland, Matt Patches talks about how Spy Hard was funny when he was 12. <laughs> By now we've all had a couple days to process the news from Sunday that Philip Seymour Hoffman had died uh, quite unexpectedly at the age of 46. Um, it, it's kind of the it's the kind of thing that's created a lot of think pieces. Kind of everyone has had the chance to sit to talk about you know their favorites of his work or um, the fact that we've been robbed of a lot of things that are going to come in the future. And I don't really know the best way to process you know the death of someone who you don't actually know. We've talked about this before when Peter O'Toole died. But there's a thing that bugs me very specifically about this. In addition to all the uh, the personal loss, you know, the personal loss of his family and the you know the work that we won't get to see and all of that stuff, um, is the drug related death and the fact that it's a there's like a glamour to it that people are going to assign to it, like the idea of the tortured genius who is you know brought low by addiction. It really that part of it rubs really wrong to me for him on this. And I don't know. I don't know that. Where I are you seeing you that? I haven't I know, like. I mean, like like you think about like it's what happened with Heath Ledger. Like there's a, there's like a glamorous Hollywood way to go from drugs. I don't think that's coming up now, but I feel like that leads into the mystique that leads people to drugs again. And, I don't think there's uh, much of a. I think the fact that his drug abuse was not really commented upon until uh, last year, where it was news to me when he went to rehab. I had no idea that he had a history with addiction, and then uh, was sort of swept under the wayside. Although he 
to me, perhaps, you know, buoyed by the knowledge that he had gotten to rehab, I thought his performance in Catching Fire was a bit somnambulant and uh, I hadn't wondered if it had anything to do with that. But whatever. I don't think it's really part of his narrative as a icon um, in the way that it is for or has become for a number of other famous people. I think uh, if you think of like Robert Downey Jr., obviously he lived, but that was, uh, you know, his drug use is, is very much a part of his story. And I think uh, for Philip Seymour Hoffman, it's really only uh, relevant to the very end, I think. Uh, it, I'd be very happy for that for that to be the case because I do think there's so many more fascinating, important things about the work that he's done. So maybe with that said, what else do we want to say about this man? Ugh. I mean, I, I kind of wanted to roll off that, which at least that uh, in dying the way he did, it sort of it seemed like it was a struggle. And immediately for me, when I read about it and having known about the rehab, it was. Uh, sort of like a sadness it wasn't like a shock like oh it, it seemed to be holding it together it was more like i don't know my mind immediately filled in what feels like very personal details that are based on absolutely nothing about my relation my non-relationship with this screen actor um which is interesting in the sense that it i guess it, it's uh with some actors, when they pass away, you look back at times that they were putting on some sort of weird mask uh, in their best roles. And for me, with Philip Seymour Hoffman, looking back, for whatever reason, I'm seeing him more as like my favorite performances of him, where him embodying fully a character. I don't know why I always go back to Twister when I think about Philip Seymour Hoffman. Probably because That's... I thought it was Jack Black for like six years because he <laughs> just so completely became something different from anything that I've ever seen Philip Seymour Hoffman doing. Boogie Nights obviously as well. I just don't understand why the the drug thing is really relevant to, especially you know, especially uh, I think it's really its only value is in being a cautionary tale to, to other people that can show that even uh, you know, nobody is immune to the the ravages of addiction and heroin is a hell of a drug and it can tear family apart, families apart and I was sitting behind i mean it's just horrible i mean it's horrible to think of his his kids and and uh his wife and i was sitting behind somebody in the screening today who was talking about how they their kid plays some sport with Philip Seymour hoffman's kid and he saw the kid waiting for his dad there on sunday morning and i was like oh my god like it's, oh jesus yeah Christ. it's yeah. uh it's it's like you know i i just i don't uh I think that – I said the other day on Twitter that – I mean because people, especially in the age of social media – I thought media, this was a very are, important statement, by the way, what you're oh, about thank to say. You. Uh, I'm building it we're, up. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're we're – uh, people are always accused of making things about themselves, and I think that there are a lot of cases where uh, you don't need me to, to point out why it doesn't come off particularly well. It can come off as self-serving and narcissistic. But I think that rather than focus on the drugs that – killed this this one actor i think it's important to realize that when a screen icon dies it is sort of about you i mean that's the fundamental like to suggest otherwise is i think directly contradicts the fundamental contract that we make with these people when we go to a movie when we allow the stories they're telling and and the people who are telling them to enter our own heads and become part of our own lives yeah we've certainly opened the door for them to become part of our emotional existence I think, and that's part of the goal of the work a lot of the time. Yeah, and I so I think that like to when there are a lot of times celebrities die, and I'm just like, well, I'm sad for that person and the people they knew, and I 
wish they were still alive. It doesn't really land on me personally, and because I was so, I think as we all were, so well versed with Philip Seymour Hoffman's work, it you know naturally lands a little bit harder for me. You know, coupled with the fact that he's was so young, but yeah, it just sort of it just sort of led me to think that like, you know, I naturally thought of the few times that I had seen him. I remember being on the set of Synecdoche, New York, which was incredible, and they completely turned the the Brooklyn Armory into uh, Caden Catard's, you know, whatever he was doing his lifelong play project, and watching him shoot all the elevator scenes. And I remember, you know, it being feeling privileged that I got to see him work. But and I think a lot of people shared personal anecdotes, a lot, most of which were much more meaningful than that. Uh, but I think that it's okay. I mean, I think that it's okay to think of how the, the personal, uh, certainly less about what you see and more about how the work and how it informs who you are, of course, is, uh, it's, it's, a, that's what they wanted to do. I mean, that's what Philip Seymour often wanted to do when he got in front of the camera, if I can, you know, presume so much that he wasn't doing it just for himself, um, that he wanted us to find common ground and solidarity and relatability in, in the characters that he embodied and, um, I think that how each of his performances sort of, you know, contribute to who we are, and and I think it's just it's natural that we would experience a loss like this personally. I um, I'm going to rattle off a few random comments because I I had a very difficult time yesterday, or two days ago on, on Twitter when we, everyone found out that uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman died. You know, there was an explosion of comments and people's reactions. You know, they express grief. They're very sad. And then people start talking about, in this case, you know, about the roles that they love of Philip Seymour Hoffman. And I'm, I'm not one to um, – I don't know. I can't really engage in that conversation. And my first thought is not to rush to, like, my Owning Mahoney DVD and watch it, <laughs> um, even though that's a good movie. Uh, I, I just have a very difficult time doing that. And I think it's interesting what you were saying, David, is that, um, you know, we're very familiar with Hoffman's work. Um, especially us, I think we're we're the right age. You know, we were young movie watchers when Philip Seymour Hoffman was a young guy in his twenties, starting out small movies. Like uh, he seemed to be in all the movies that were important for for a, a an emerging uh, cineaste. You know, we, we were watching all the right movies at the right times. Um, cineaste, like a Spanish cineaste. Cineaste, and also Twister, which is and Twister apparently. Um, you know, we were just catching them all the right times. And for, for me personally, I, I always thought, and here's my personal side intruding in, in a way that we have to allow, as David has suggested, um, like Philip Seymour Hoffman always looked like a member of my family in a weird way. I don't know if you have actors like that, but, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman looks like my mom's side of the family. He looks like another fat brother. Um, and to the way I just found comfort in that. Uh, and, and I really enjoyed watching him because I felt some sort of familial connection. Um, and the last thing I want to say is that I'm, I'm, I admire Philip Seymour Hoffman's hand we gestures. Should we uh, identify our favorite performances of his? David, you want to start us? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, the only reason I the only reason I suggest mentioning our favorite performances of his is because I think you know uh, uh, there are so many great ones, but also we spend so much time just talking about uh, the impact of his death, which I think is perfectly appropriate. But uh, for someone who has had so many incredible incredible performances, it's uh, I thought it would be worth mentioning. But 
Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, yeah. it's hard to it's hard not to go with Synecdoche, New York, just because it's so all encompassing. But uh, I will. I you know, and the guy never made the guy never really delivered a bad performance. I have to I have a special place in my heart for. Um, uh, uh, along came Polly, <laughs> which showed that I think his range and uh, how he could really save a movie from itself. And um, so many people have been coming back to that movie yeah, during this true. conversation. I do not understand that at all. I mean, a, I love the man and his work, but along it's not Polly? a very good movie. But the scene, <laughs> like the white chocolate stuff, and the scene where he is stalling for time, pretending to be Ben Stiller, is just like it's such comedic genius that. We didn't always get to see from him. Um, and I don't know. I'm sure I would just, con- you know, I would back up any any of the movies you guys put out. So go for it. I'm going to go with The Master and Twister. Bandon or I like them a lot. You like the uh, the fact that they rhyme? Well, and they're just completely polar opposites performances in terms of how much you're supposed to keep your eyes locked on his or not. In Twister, he doesn't matter. He's a ball of energy. In The Master, holds everything down. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, I w- I'm tempted to say Boogie Nights, but that's come up a lot, and I think it's, you know, the values of that performance are pretty well remembered. But uh, I really like The Talented Mr. Ripley, which is a movie that, I don't know, it's I think it's lumped in with, like, late 90s, stupid Oscar prestige. It was pretty good, and he's really interesting in it in, like, kind of like a like a fancy, villainous kind of way that he didn't play a lot of times after that. And he's really young, and Matt Damon's really young, and, like, his presence in that movie is really fascinating. And, I don't know, I'm glad he was part of that. And mine are probably, I mean, the first one that comes to mind is Happiness, because it's such an ugly character humanized by him. I mean, the fact that you can sit there and be with this guy uh, is astonishing. Um, But then the range to something like Capote, to something like Mission Impossible 3, a movie I don't really like, but that I know David does. Oh, he's so good. I actually think Capote, for which he won his Oscar, is like one of his least interesting roles. I don't, but again, it's about like, not needing to be flashy, or I, I will always go back to gesture and how how physical movement really plays into a person's persona, and to to kind of encapsulate Capote and the way he would maneuver through crowds or talk to someone. Again, Philip Seymour Hoffman has this way with hand gestures, and he does it in Mission Impossible Three. There's a scene I literally go back to in my memory all of the time, um, where he has just changed faces. Tom Cruise is now Philip Seymour Hoffman. And um, he's, like, choking. They haven't gotten the voice recognition software yet. And Philip Seymour Hoffman does this thing with his hand that he does in all these movies. But now he's doing it in such a severe motion. Like, get back, get back. And I I don't know. I think I about that a lot. The see... man has a way with his hands. It's incredible. I was glad to see the clip from, uh, from Charlie Wilson's War going around where he is fighting with John Slattery. And uh, I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout-out to uh, 25th Hour which is uh, an undervalued movie all around, but I think that he gives a uh, performance that was really sort of at his resting place. It was like the the gestalt of, of Philip Seymour Hoffman, and I'll always remember him as the, in that shot, on that like patented Spike Lee uh, dolly shot when he leaves the bathroom after, uh, after kissing uh, Anna Paquin. <sighs> Okay, back by popular demand. The people actually demanded it, so this is I'm being true. Um, we're going to play a round of, of 
trivia and as you have dubbed it patches matches trivia patches, i don't matches. think i na- i don't think i named it that did i who called it patches match did i self-proclaim patches matches that's so dumb no i thought it was a listener but maybe it was dave well I we don't have know. much time so we oh, gotta get straight into this trivia stuff yeah I'm, we're it. gonna play it like we did before i have three tracks of questions um and you're going to be put down that one of those tracks by uh, based on how you do on this first question so here we go um, the Counselor. Everyone remember that one? Uh, it's 2013's oh, yeah. lowest grossing movie to open in more than 3,000 theaters. Severe disappointment. Not artistically, but financially. Um, give me your guess for wh- how much money The Counselor made at the box office in America. Total? Total. And so based on these guesses, I will put you down my tracks of evil questions. So this is for no points, by the way. Okay. So quickly give me your answers. David? I'll go with – oh, I'm at an unadvantage, uh, disadvantage to go first, but I will go with uh, – Well, you nine, won, you've won many nine, rounds, so you have to be at a disadvantage. $9.1 million. Dollars. All right. Katie? Oh, I, going, oh, okay. I was going with eight even. All right. Eight Dave? million even. Oh, well, oh, man. All right. I'm going to take the under. I'm going to go with six million. You are all – you're not appreciating this movie enough. It made $16.9 yeah. million. Uh, wow, really? David so David will be yeah, on – Because it had like a decent opening weekend, yeah. right? It, yeah. All right. It did, I mean not it's decent. a Brad Pitt, Michael Fassbender, yeah. Cameron Diaz movie. It's going to make a little bit of money. Yeah. Wait, so it made less than The Fifth Estate? Uh, you'd, I'd have to double check that fact, but the probably. The Fifth Estate was like the famous bomb but of the year. The I think it did. On, I think it made uh, less. Or, or wow. Fifth Estate didn't come out in that many theaters. Um, but let's, let's get right into it. So David, you are going to be up first, followed by Katie, followed by Dave. Here we go. Hopefully I was awake enough to put these questions together. So they're coherent. (laughs) Let's do it. First category is going to be January movies. So let's stretch our brains all the way back. David. Yeah. The seventh installment of a horror franchise kicked off 2013. What was the full title of that film? And, and, and the specifics count. You have to be very specific with this title. Seventh installment. Seventh of, installment of a horror franchise. Of a horror franchise kicked off. In- right up your alley. You love <laughs> horror films. I do. In theory, the seventh installment. It wasn't. Uh, oh, jeez. I can't even remember if- what the franchise was, let alone the full. It must have had some sort of weird title if you're specifying that. Um, Oh, man. It's definitely, it's definitely harkening back to the classic title. And I apologize to everyone out there listening. If I'm crinkling paper, I'm actually scoring this with the old-fashioned. It's, it harkens back to a classic title? Well, I mean, it's continuing the franchise. Okay, you have about 20 seconds. Do you have an answer? I don't think so. Oh, I think I know. Oh, I think I figured okay, it out. Okay, David, David is not going to get the point on this one. Does anyone else have a guess for no points? Katie. The Texas Chainsaw 3D. Yes, and that's oh, a, wow. that's the correct title. It is not ah, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or anything like that. Back when I had a job. Womp, womp. <laughs> uh, 2013. Eric, Eric Snyder wrote about this movie for his column, Eric's Bad Movies, and I read it and I was like, are you making this up? <laughs> like, I, I sent him an email. I was like, is this a real movie? <laughs> or is that a one? All right, Katie. Here we go. All Your right. January movie question. Uh, this movie, from the director of The Devil's Advocate, is based on a 2000 novel, Flash Fire, written by Donald Westlake under the name Richard Stark, and it stars Jennifer Lopez, Michael Chiklis, Bobby Cannavale, Patti Lapone of Broadway fame, and um, Nick Nolte. 
all of those names are things that sound like real things. Um, <laughs> oh my god, I have absolute. I've no. I, Brooklyn's finest. No, this would be Parker Taylor Hackford's Parker. I left off one name, Jason State. Oh, you left off Jason State. Curveball, no ah, points. The the goal of patches matches like, is obviously for no one no to get points. any points. So <laughs> that's so much. Fun. I love it when we play trivia. No one wins anything. All right, Dave. Here you go. Broken City marked the first solo film from a famous brother pair. Who directed the film? Whoa. They're often co-directing together, but one broke off and decided the one movie he had to make alone was Broken City, <laughs> starring Mark Wahlberg, your boy. That one I did see. Your January boy. Oh, my January boy. He does. I know, but he is in the Transformers trailer, which I love for the Transformer that has a gun for a face. Uh, okay. <clears throat> my j- Oh, my January boy. Um, I'm gonna say maybe you got no, you're running out of time Wachowskis? here. The the no no I have no idea. Patches matches has beaten me. Whoa whoa! I'm glad that you stopped before you wow. tried to is it figure out which Wachowski? It's Alan know, Hughes. Was... Alan Hughes of the oh, Hughes oh, brothers. Oh, you Albert Hughes! No. Damn it! So those are the easy ones. That was um, the other oh, Hughes. Great. No good. Moving oh, on. God. Moving on. Here yeah. we go. This this category is called name things. Okay, okay, David. Yeah. Name six of the eight films co-starring James Franco, the most prolific actor of 2013. Okay. Six so of got, the eight films he you got co-starred your home, in. You got in your home front, right? You got, you got yes, that's one. Obvious first. You choice. got your Spring Breakers. Two. You got your uh, fucking God of Carnage. No. no. Well, you know what? No, you know what that no. movie, the Faulkner thing. Uh, it's well. Come on, that's that's come a toughie because think, uh, you're on one track that's wrong, but you're oh, not. It, well, it was, you're it, on it, a track it, that's it, right also. Ah, uh, it's the like God's son or whatever. It's the other one. No. As, as I lay dying. Yes, yeah, that's all three. Right. Uh, so that's three. So all right, Franco. What else did you do, you little bastard? Uh, he. Oh, this is the end. Four. Yes, it's four. Uh, how, I was supposed to name six of eight. <laughs> yeah, six of eight. <laughs> uh, fuck. Um, you should recount what you have. Homefront. Yeah. You have As I Lay Dying. This is the end. Spring Breakers. Yeah. Two more. There's a big one. There's a big one. Uh, was he? Oh, the Oz, the shitty Oz movie, the great. Yes, powerful. that's five. You only Piece need one shit. more. Um, but you're running out of time. Oh, you're come on. This is a hard question. Franco movie. <laughs> I've named five James Franco movies from one year already. <laughs> um, <laughs> you are a hero. It's true. <laughs> What's, uh, uh, can you give me – was it like an indie or there's some big ones? What am I – The rest are indies. Oh, whoa. Uh, interior leather bar, does that count? No. Oh, come on. What? That should count. I think that actually came out in January of this year. This year? Oh, I was gonna say close, Paolo. but that'll be for next year's trivia. There's Palo Alto, yeah. which is this year. There's, nope, that's uh, gonna be this year. Uh, oh, David, I think you're gonna flake on this no, one. Twenty no, seconds. No. Oh come on. Twenty more seconds. Oh my god. Come on, give me a hint. What is it, Franco? I I can't do it. I can't give you. I don't think you're gonna get it, David. Uh, I'm sorry. Ah, there are three. I'm not gonna get. It. Nobody <laughs> wins. Did he voice something? Was it? A, nope. Uh, 
There's a oh gosh, you're so close. <laughs> All right, you lose. But Lovelace, oh, the Iceman, no, and Sal, a movie that sat uh, on the shelf for uh, since 2011. Okay, I think I think in fairness, on the easy track of patches matches, you could have gone five <laughs> out of eight there. <laughs> Would have been too I easy. I can't believe Interior Leather Bar doesn't count. You had to get one of the crazy indies. Interior Leather Bar played Sundance 2013, but it did not come I out until it. this I, January. I, I, we go. January 2nd, 2014. That is so So cold. close, yet so <laughs> far. All right, we got to keep going. Katie, this is okay. ready? Three women yep. directed or co-directed films that played in over 2,000 theaters this year. Can you name those three Ooh. movies? Oh, one of them is uh, uh, People's. Tyler Perry's Peoples something. I'll, I'll give it to you. The correct title it's is Tyler Peoples, Perry. It? It's called Tyler Perry Presents Peoples. Peoples. Just in case okay. uh, having a woman direct her own comedy wasn't. Yeah. Uh, I just said all the pronouns possibly involved with it that. It had to be case. Tyler Perry Presents, yeah. Um, now, what are the other Carrie. two? Yeah, uh, yes. Um, oh, and the third one's Frozen. Correct. Katie is oh. on the Yay! board with one point. Lady questions for me. You lucked out. All right, Dave. No, I knew things. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Means it has, it has you knew luck. it. God. Dave, name three of the 12 people. You have 12 options, and you only have to name three. Of, of the people who directed <laughs> segments of Movie 43. Oh, man. There are 12 directors. Okay, 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 okay. Um, uh, Ratner? Brett Ratner? That is correct. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, I have to only, I only have to name three. <laughs> yes, you only have to name three. Okay, which um, means it's not going to be easy. But actually, it it could be. It, this could be easy. All right. Uh, okay. One of the Fairley brothers must have done it. But which um, one? Uh, Peter. Yes. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. I was going. Um, I was going to okay. to you say you didn't get it if you guessed Bobby. So you're still going. Oh. Did Bob I know Odenkirk direct a, direct a segment? <laughs> Did who? Did Bob Odenkirk direct a segment? Technically, I think he's an uncredited director on one of the segments. Oh, so I will give bitch. you a pass. That doesn't end your run here. I'm going to give you another guess. Um, but it's not going to get you the point. Uh, I can't think. Did There's only one woman. What? I'll give you that. I'll give you that as a hint. There's only one woman. There's some names here. Oh, uh, uh, did the woman also star in it? She was in one of the segments. Oh, uh, Banks. Elizabeth Banks. Yes. Nice. Oh my God. That was going to be my answer. The uh. other directors are Stephen Brill, Will Graham, Steve Carr, Griffin Dunn of After Hours fame, James Duffy, Jonathan Van Teleken, Patrick Forsberg, Rusty Kundeif, and James Gunn. Oh, I could have wow. gotten gun, but that was that was it. Oh, okay, man. we're gonna rattle off some quick questions here in the Rotten Tomatoes section of my Alrighty. quiz. David, yeah. Spring Breakers, oh, according to so this is gonna be top critic scores. Uh-huh. And I'm gonna give you a bonus point if you guess the number within three points of the actual number. Mm-hmm. So here we go. Spring Breakers, is it fresh or rotten according to top critics on Rotten Tomatoes? Fresh. And what's what and then what is your <laughs> guess for the number? So the percentage of top critics? The percentage, yes. Uh, among top critics, Spring Breakers was 69% positive. 
Yeah. Very close, 66%, so oh, I'm going to give oh. you a bonus point. Oh, so it is fresh, wow. it's fresh, and it's 66%. Wow, so you're very close. back David, in the game. David, back into the race. All right, oh. David jumps ahead. Um, Katie, Star Trek Into Darkness, is it fresh or is it rotten? According to top fresh. critics. What do you say? I think it's fresh. And then what do you think is the number? Oh, 62%. No, it's 80% ah. fresh. Oh my god. <laughs> oh. People oh, love Star Trek right. Into Darkness. Uh, um, I knew that it was one of those fades, but I didn't realize it was so fresh at the time. Oh, absolutely. All right, Dave. You still get a point, right? You got one point, so you're tied with David. Dave, right. pain and gain, fresh or rotten? According to top critics. Um, I'm going to say fresh. And then what do you think the point is? Or the percentage? I'm going to go with, like, a 67. I'm afraid not. It's rotten. Ugh. Oh. Stinky. 49%. 49. Oh, Very unfortunate. No yeah, that is bad. Um, David? Yeah. Your favorite film of the year, The Great Gatsby. Yeah. Fresh or rotten? Uh, that was... Critics. I think it's fresh. And what do you think the percent is? Uh, it's got to be close, right? Um... I'm being optimistic and saying that it's fresh with like, with like sixty five percent. Wow, I don't know if sixty five is actually fresh, so you may have to bump that to sixty six. Yeah, sixty. Uh, sorry, 60, 60, oh, 60 is fresh. What's... Okay, sixty is fresh. Right. So you're right, sixty five percent. Well, you're wrong actually. Oh. The Great Gatsby <laughs> is rotten with thirty one percent. Oh, according oh. to top critics, uh, devastating, devastating. Oh, no. Katie. Yes. An underseen film this year, Ron Howard's Rush. What do you oh. think top critics say about Ron Howard's Rush? Um, I think it's fresh. Okay. Percentage? And I'd put it like 72. Close, but not close enough. It's 80% fresh. Mm. Oh. I know. I like so it, you, too. You do get a point, though, so you've taken the lead. Dave. Woohoo! White yeah. House Down. Roland Emmerich's White House Down. Fresh or Rotten. I'm going to say that this is a rotten one again, Patches. And at what percent? Oh, I'm going to say we're at uh, 52. So close. 51% rotten. So Dave gets two points. And uh, so that's Dave with three, Katie with three, and David with two. I better hurry because we – I'm so pressing close. your time. But this is so fun. Right, the people um, can't get enough of Patches. They can go on all that. Of course. <laughs> so my next category is returning directors. These oh, are yeah. people who have directed other movies who for some reason got another chance. Here we go. Uh, David, yeah. Joshua Michael Stern directed Never Jobs. heard of him. Okay. <laughs> Name another Joshua Michael Stern directed movie. <laughs> these are the easy questions, really. Be on, no, these are, none of them are easy questions. But be honest with yourself, because if you don't know it, no, you I move mean on. Joshua Michael Stern. Can I even get like yes. a, a hint of a hint? Like, um, uh, without giving it away, one of them was an, a political movie. One of them was a a fantasy in the vein of of. of uh, the Little Princess. <laughs> oh my god, he's directed, he's directed so many movies. In the, oh. in the vein of Little Princess. You'll did never he, get that one. You'll actually he, never get that one. Direct. So you're better off going with the political comedy. Nanny that he McPhee. Wrote. 
No, you are not going to get this. So Joshua okay, Michael Stern, before Jobs, uh, wrote and directed Swing Vote, starring Kevin ah, Costner. I thought I knew that. And a movie called Never Was that stars Aaron Eckhart oh, and a whole you. bunch of people that barely came out. I don't not, think – I think Lionsgate put it out direct to DVD. Move on. So David has failed. Uh, Katie, Thor yep. Freudenthal took over directing Ooh. duties from Chris Columbus for Percy Jackson's Sea of Monsters. Name another Thor Freudenthal-directed movie. Oh, it's Hotel for Dogs. Oh, it is Hotel oh. for Dogs. Um, but I don't Diary, know why I know that. Diary of a Wimpy Kid, also acceptable. Oh, yeah. He also uh, directed a, a short film in the French anthology Zero Deux, which I would have accepted just for the record. Yes. I Dave. Yes. Uh, Jeff Wadlow directed Kick-Ass 2, took over that franchise as well. Where did this guy come from? What movie has he directed before? You mean England? No, I don't think he's from England. No, I think he's from Australia. Oh, God. Oh, I'm supposed to know this. But he has because... not made exclusively Australian films. No, but I did. I did. Uh... You're the comics book, comic books guy. You're supposed to know this. I know. I, I wrote about him, uh, but <laughs> obviously deleted this. From my mind. Kick-Ass 2 and X-Force, that's obviously he hasn't directed yet, so I'm going to have to... Oh, God. Nope, not going to have it. Don't have it. You had multiple options. Never Back Down, the dance film. Oh, shit. And a horror movie called Cry Wolf, which actually has an underscore in it, not a space. Um, (laughs) thank God for that. The next category, very simple. Guess the slogan. You know, it's on the poster. What movie am I talking about here? Ready, David? Yeah. Tell me the movie that, that brandishes this, this slogan in a war between Kings, even a pawn can change the game. In a war between Kings, in a war between Kings, even a pawn can change the game. What the fuck? <laughs> In a war between kings, even a pawn. I don't. I don't know I if you, you saw are this saying movie. That in the right voice. You Was definitely it? did not see it. I def- get, that's my hint to you. I definitely did not see it. <laughs> you definitely did not. I'm so glad that you're asking again. Um, <laughs> is it uh, Jack the Giant Slayer? Uh, that can't be right. No, uh, close. Uh, uh, it's paranoia. Oh my god! Whoa! Go. <laughs> I hate you. The kings being Harrison Ford. Yeah, and Gary yeah, yeah, yeah. Pawn being Liam Hemsworth. <laughs> Always a pawn. Never All right, a... Katie. He's a wrecking ball sometimes too. Oh. Okay. Katie, every step yes. brings you closer to the edge. Oh crap! Of your destiny, or oh. of fate. Oh. oh, was this a 2015 movie? Is it Man on a Ledge? What? Man on a Ledge came that out like... That movie with Sam Worthington? I think that came out in 2012. Oh, okay. I will I will give you this. My my shock came from my brain hearing Man on Wire. Man on a Ledge definitely yes, did not it. come out... <laughs> Man on a Ledge definitely did not come out last year, but it is not... Your your suggestion does not deserve my shock. Every separate... I know I know that tagline, but I've already guessed Man on a Ledge, unless you're going to give me another I guess. am... That is not the correct answer. The correct answer is Fruitvale Station. Oh, he's God, on the what edge a terrible tagline for that. Of the subway yeah. and mm. his life. Um, Dave. That's a terrible yeah. title. Something big was left over. 
<laughs> Something big was left over. God, who cares? Um, the crudes. You're very, you're very close, uh, but wrong. Cloudy with a chance of meatballs too. Oh, that is get it? Sort of plot related. It's a pun. Over. Yeah, it's I a get pun. it. That's that's funny. Okay, these are essential. <laughs> these next category essential award season questions. Here, people, get ready. David, yeah, this year. Emmanuel Lubetsky won the American Manuel, Society of Cinematographers yeah, okay. top honor for cinematography in Gravity. Yeah. What other movie did he shoot this year? Lubetsky? Uh, yes. He must have shot fucking uh, – oh, no, he didn't. He didn't do uh, To the Wonder, did he? Well, I really can't tell you that. <laughs> well, didn't I, – I remember being surprised that – no, he, I'm going to go with To the Wonder. That is correct. <laughs> right. Don't second-guess yourself. Of course he shot To the Wonder. Yeah. To the Wonder! To All the right, wall. Katie. To the Wall! Two of the I'm people who have been nominated this year for the worst actor by the Razzies have never been nominated for a Razzie before. Oh, God. Um, the, the nom- I'm going to give you the nominees, and you tell me the two people who have never been nominated before. Oh, okay. Okay, good. Johnny Depp in The Lone Ranger. Ashton Kutcher for Jobs. Adam Sandler for Grown Ups 2. Jaden Smith for After Earth. Or Sylvester Stallone, Bullet to the Head, Escape Plan, and Grudge Match. Two of these um, people have never been nominated before. Okay, I'm going to say one of them is Jaden Smith. Okay. Um, Sylvester Stallone, Johnny Depp, uh, Adam Sandler, and who was the other one? Did you say Stallone? Yes, yeah, Stallone, Johnny Depp, Adam Sandler. And Kutcher, Ashton Kutcher. One. And Ashton Kutcher. Um, I'm going to guess Ashton Kutcher. You would be incorrect. He James was actually Smith nominated. He would. He was nominated twice. Oh, <laughs> last year <laughs> for both uh, Killers and Ashton something Kutcher else. Was? Yes, Ashton Kutcher has been nominated twice previously, oh. and both times in the same year. Um, it's actually Johnny Depp for the Lone Ranger has never been nominated. Wow, Captain Jack is an unrazzied oh. performance. Um, Johnny Depp, you're correct. some bullets. I feel like. Yeah, you're correct with Jaden Smith and After Earth. Um, well, Dave, it, so. yeah, the AARP actually has an awards every year called the Grown Up Awards. <laughs> I love this award. Uh, the most important awards ceremony of the year. Um, the nominees for supporting actor in the AARP awards were Steve Carell for The Way Way Back, Chris Cooper for August Osage County, Tony Danza for Don John, obviously, John Goodman inside Lewin Davis, and Bill Nighy for About Time. Who won the AARP's Best Supporting Actor this year? Oh, my God. Um, I'm going to assume that they also disliked giving awards to Inside Lewin Davis. So uh, I'm going to say that maybe they were more susceptible to the August Osage County net and picked Chris Cooper. That is correct. Yes. yes. Excellent Incredible. deduction there. Incredible. Old people, they think the same way for what, years and what years. What do old people <laughs> want? Okay, here are some documentary-related questions that I think are very easy. David, okay. yeah. Blackfish's theatrical release in July arrived the same week as the 20th anniversary of what marine biology-friendly film? Free fucking Willie. Yes, you got it. See, these are wow. easy. All right, Katie. 
As we learn yes. in the act of killing, the Indonesian word for gangster translates into what? Free man. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. I'm just giving away points here. I just imagine Morgan Freeman as an Indonesian gangster. And Leviathan. Sorry, that's the answer to my question, right? <laughs> All right, Dave. Berkeley was a very popular setting for documentaries this year. And by popular, I mean two prominent films were set there. And that's pretty popular in documentaries. Name those two films. This one's a little uh, harder. <laughs> at Berkeley and... That's correct. And... The one that I'm assuming doesn't have Berkeley in the title, so I gotta True. think about <laughs> documentaries that would maybe take place in that setting. Um... Unfortunately, you do not have a phone-a-friend or friends at nonfix.com, but that's a shameless plug for something I'm completely not involved in. Ah, whoa, crap. I don't know if you're going to get this one. Okay, let's let's give it up. Fair enough. uh, It's Inequality for All, which focused on Berkeley professor and former labor secretary Robert Reich. that's, That's a recommendation. Is uh, disguised by a question. Okay, this category oh, yeah. is just never remembering. Me a point. You could have just told me to see the movie. That's that's fine. No, I will not. I will disguise <laughs> things as questions. This category is just remembering fun things. David Miriam Bale of the New York Times wrote of this film. Chris Brown plays an arrogant, insolent young man engaged in an inane Twitter war with another dancer. With his constant dull scowl, he is a very successful person. Beat the world. Unlikable. <laughs> no. What's, incorrect what? no it's uh, the fucking beep uh, the beat dancers stop the world what the fuck is it called i'll, I'll get this hang on uh with they, his constant dull scowl he's no, very successful at playing unlikable they oh, we have to give beat. miriam her day okay sorry miriam i like miriam um the the movie is uh it's it's got it's got world in the title does it not it does not it does not i'll give you that uh, you're not supposed uh, to give that away. Stop the, the <laughs> they're, they're b they're boy dancers. They things are... only got cloudier when I gave him that clue. What are you talking uh, about? B, uh, you do not know the answer. <laughs> Admit oh, it good. to yourself. This is, it's got Omarion, I think. Also, I don't. Know. Yeah, and uh, Sawyer from Lost. <laughs> and Sawyer from That's Lost. True. It yeah. has it has the kid from Red Dawn. Uh, All of these things. <laughs> yep. From the whackness, right, Josh? Uh, yeah, yeah. And it was heck? it was delayed oh, for a while. What uh, would you call it, David? This is not coming to you. It's it's this about this guy who is trying to remember the name of his sled. <laughs> uh, it's, it's Jesus, I can't remember. I don't think I don't think this oh, is happening oh, for oh, you. Oh, I it's, think I got it. Oh, Dave. It's Battle of the Year. Battle it of, is yeah, Battle it of is. the Year. Sorry, David. Sorry, that did not work out for you, Katie. Yeah. Um, the the filmmaker who made the very successful film Whiplash that won all the awards at Sundance, uh, he wrote a film that came, a studio movie that came out this year. Name that movie. Wait. Oh. You said Whiplash, and I heard Whip It, and I was thinking about Drew Barrymore, so it took me a second. That, you're not the first uh, person to do that. Very common mistake at Sundance this year, I must say. Uh, Damien Chazelle wrote a studio film this year. Yeah, he is the director. That's true. Wait. He is the director of Whiplash, but he wrote. I'm supposed to name the studio film that he wrote. Correct. Whoa. I, yeah, I had no idea that happened. He also wrote Grand Piano. Just fun fact as you mulled this over. Um, I'm going to assume he was a credited writer on Elysium. 
No, The Last Exorcism Part 2. <laughs> yeah, I was never going to get that. Uh, All right, Damien Chadell, you make that cash. That's, that's where he came from. That was his... No, I saw his feature. I saw his feature at Tribeca like four years ago. That's not where he came from. Okay, well, he made he made the money to do Whiplash. He had financial cushion. Okay, Dave. Yes. Name both movies that featured Nelson Mandela's wife as a main character that came out in 2013. Oh God damn it! This is just gonna make me look like a racist, no matter what my answers are. Battle of the Year is not the answer. I actually think there are answers that won't make you sound like Wait, a Wait, Rick, can you repeat the question? Um, the... Yes. Name both movies that featured Nelson Mandela's wife as a main character. Okay. Um, wasn't there wasn't there one where it was actually about her? So it's... Uh, <laughs> yes. So the, yes, there was. First, whatever her first name is, because they wouldn't just call the movie Mandela... Because obviously that would be disappointing for people who showed up not expecting a movie about whatever her first name is, Mandela. So I'm not going to get that <laughs> question right. Uh, the other one is probably Mandela Long Walk to Freedom. So I don't know. That, is, that is correct. And you are what's, correct that the second movie name? is just the na- her name, which is Winnie Mandela. Winnie Mandela. Starring Jennifer Hudson. Barely uh, came out. Definitely played in New York, though. So Terrence Howard is Mandela. We're going into the final. Really? We're going into the final questions here, and as always, question. I have curated questions specifically for each of you. Oh wow! <laughs> um, Dave, I'm going to start with you because you're the first person on my list for some reason. Okay. Or so, I'm Dave, on the forefront of your minds. What is the name of Rene Russo's character, aka Thor's mom? In Thor: The Dark World, Frigga. Oh my you god! You got it. I just didn't know if you would. I was. Oh really, yeah. That was we have to talk about that movie again at some point. It's co- totally in- incoherent. How can I you remember anything about it? I tried watching it. What the fuck? <laughs> Still in comparison kind of to what the first Thor? I mean, never mind. We should talk no, about this. No, we'll get I into agree. that later. Maybe on a podcast. Don't take my request to talk about a Marvel movie seriously, Dave. <laughs> this is this is the end of it. <laughs> I'll bait you, goddammit. All right, Katie. You are okay. a big Channing Tatum fan. Can you yeah. name each of the movies he appeared in this year? In 2013. Yes. Wait, wait. Didn't she get this question last year? This is the exact same question <laughs> I gave her last year. I kid you okay. not. I, I, yes, it is. Uh, I think. I mean, last year it was harder. This year it's White House Down. Yes. See, now I'm gonna. Now I'm gonna psych myself out. No. Oh, side effects. Yes. Um. Oh, I don't think she's gonna get the last one. I mean, I keep thinking of the Lego movie, which is not a 2013 movie. No. Um, shit. What am I not? Oh, G.I. Joe. Yes. And. Sorry. G.I. Joe uh, retaliation. Yes, that is correct. Um, yes. But there's one more. No. Yes. Do I get to guess it still? Or? Yes, you do. Okay. Oh, God. Again, these are movies he appeared in. Oh, this is the end. Yes. That's true. I, I did finally, I did finally see it. Wait, is that not the answer? That was not the answer I was thinking of. But I'm gonna have to oh, give really? it to you. But there's one you more. Said... Huh? All right. We could. Say, I mean, do I get the? Do I get to win? I'm gonna give. I'm gonna give you the point you because of? this is the. You're right about this is the end. But there's actually one more in the in the same vein as his appearance in this is the end. Even more yeah. brief. Even more cameo like. Oh God! I don't think he's an anchorman. Oh uh, wait, Sundance. Oh, 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 oh! It's uh, Don fucking John. 
It is Don oh, fucking John. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I'm still giving right. Katie the point because she bested me. Yes. And David, uh, every yeah. Um, your question is: name all of the movies uh, directed by Joe Swanberg that came out this year. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> In the grand tradition of Pinch's matches, it is the meanest question you ask every do, year. Do I get to know how many there were? Um, fine. There were only two. There are only two. I oh, fair. I think I can actually there do only this. two. Okay. Uh, <laughs> this, is, if twenty-four exposures counts as one of them, then I'm definitely. It does not. Them. Because oh. 24 Exposures just came out this uh, yeah, past week. Yeah, there was a All right, Well, there is Drinking Buddies. That much we know. There was Drinking Buddies. Uh, that, a a, a wonderful film. Yeah. So, in addition to Drinking Buddies. He, and, One and more. You're not, he didn't do a segment for VHS 2. Nope. Um, it was a feature film. It was a feature film. Oh, no it shorts. was All the Lights in the Sky. That's all, it's all the light in the all sky, the but I'll, the give sky. I'll give it to you. <laughs> yeah. Starring Jane Adams. That is correct. My friend Sophia Tagal. It was wonderful. Uh, yeah, talk about name dropping. Yeah. Uh, well, that concludes this year's Patches Matches 2013 quiz. Uh, Katie, you are the winner with six points. Woo! Close behind, both Dave and David had five points. I hope people out there at home enjoyed listening to that and got some points. Did better, perhaps, than we did. Um, but thank you again. That does it for today's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back on Friday with a special review segment that we're excited to bring you. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches. I write on the internet at all places. And I put it all on mattpatches.com, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And um, remember, we have a. I think I'm in charge of the website, telling people about fightinginthewarroom.com, which uh, is just beautiful. It's a stunning-looking thing, thanks to Dave's web magic and all the all the graphic art that we have now. And just go there and leave comments and share. Uh, it's wonderful. Fightinginthewarroom.com. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I am uh, currently rogue, <laughs> looking. Looking to write about movies, I'm about to head to off to Berlin. Uh, that's pretty much all I have to, all I can say for myself at the moment. Um, you can find all of us uh, at the Fighting in the War Room Facebook page, which is just Fighting in the War Room. That is true. I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can spell that first part DA7E, which is also my Twitter handle. I do weekly posts about superhero movie news, latino-review.com. This February, I'll be doing Think Pieces every Tuesday at Pajiba. Pajiba? Pajiba? How do you pronounce that? Pajiba, I I've only I've, I've only typed it. And you better learn. Too. I think you need to learn that before you're allowed to yeah, write on it. Yeah, you represent them on the internet. Yeah, whatever. They, they, they print it. You could read it. That's how these things work. Um, but if you want to not communicate through print, because you're obviously an audio-focused person listening to this podcast, you could call us at 914-410-6450 and leave us a voicemail and prompt us on a topic or compliments uh, about our looks. Yeah, mostly that. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fairs Hollywood and on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. You can also find all of us on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R. That stands for Fighting in the War Room. And you can answer this week's lightning round question, which is... In honor of the Lego movie, what's your favorite moment of cinematic branding? Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you on Friday.
And if he stays, I'll wait for him in the morning on a thousand pieces of light. If he stays, then I'll wait for him in the morning on a thousand pieces of light. If he stays, I'll wait for him in the morning on a thousand pieces of light. If he stays, then I'll wait for him in the morning on a thousand pieces of light.